Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Midnight Narwhal podcast. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Midnight Narwhal podcast. For you, it feels like this is just the normal thing. For us, we've not recorded in two months. It's been been a long time and it's been a long two months because it has of everything because of christmas because of the world because of life but yeah it's just been a long long time it's been a yeah. lot and honestly the delay in episodes coming out fully my fault i take full responsibility for it because i'm the one who said my life's too busy i can't do this right now so i'm sorry not that much though I forgive you. And on behalf of our fan, I forgive you. Oh, tell Michaela I appreciate it. No, she's she's not it. She doesn't care. <laughs> she doesn't listen. She doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't listen to any of my podcasts, any of them. Ouch. I know. She's she's like, I, I live with you. Why would I wanna why would I wanna listen to that? And she's like, I see how much you edit out. Like I can't. She's with me when I edit and she's like, I I, I don't need to listen to that again. <laughs> so well, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's fair. But the good news is you can say whatever you want about that her. Is, that is true. She is the most loving and awesome wife. She can hear through the walls, can't she? She can. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag knew it. Yep. Whew, man, it has been a while, hasn't it? It, it really has. Yeah. It's, it's been, a, it been a, a little bit. I'm currently editing uh, the Birds Aren't Real episode and... Something popped up on my newsfeed today that reminded me of it and that scared me. Twitter has enacted something that they called bird watching. (laughs) So you can be a bird watcher. And what that means is that you're on the watch for quote unquote false information. If you're a certified bird watcher, you can label things false and they will be taken off of Twitter. That's my understanding of it. Birds. Like that, the word bird is basically the only connection there, but it did freak me out and it did make me think of that podcast episode. So for all you uh, bird truthers out there. We're uh, with you. We're with you. Yeah. Yeah. We're with you. We support you and all of your crazed shenanigans, <laughs> delusional ramblings. I met a bird truther a couple of weeks ago, actually. No, like for real? For real. Up in Maryland. So they actually really exist. Oh, it's 100%. not just some huge prank. Like he had a shirt on and I was like, dude, I just recorded an episode. Well, not just, but I, I recorded an episode about, uh, about that. And, uh, he's like, oh yeah. I was like, yeah, man, I read from the website and he's like, oh, so you, you're, you know, the truth. And I was like, oh yeah, ha ha ha. I know the truth. He's like, <laughs> no man, that's the truth. And I was like, you know, it's a huge prank. And he's like, no, it's real. It's a hundred percent real. Uh, like he was, he was a weird dude anyway, but like, I, really? I thought I was going to like bond with him over like a funny t-shirt. No, I thought wrong. So I, there's at least one like bird truther that I've actually like legitimately believes that unfortunately. So we can pray for him. Maybe, uh, the Lord will open up his eyes to the truth. So what you're truth. saying is you did not give him the link to this podcast. No, I didn't. <laughs> you should have we could have we could have reformed him Mm. or turn him into a homicidal maniac coming for our scalps yeah i've i've had one of those already i don't need another one of those i haven't Mm. i feel like i've missed out you haven't well one thing we haven't done yet is we totally botched our introduction and we didn't even do a theme song Mm. yeah that's true i guess i get to do the theme song it is your turn to do it is my turn all right 
have we already in, done the introduction thing or like does it come i don't know okay. did we i don't think we did i don't think we said our names i think we, we didn't say our is, names no we just said this is another episode or we can well, just restart completely sure i mean well here's <laughs> here's our introduction i'm james hey this is andy and this is the midnight narwhal podcast uh, another episode of it and here's our theme song midnight narwhal podcast 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 oh the echo I'm here for it because I have to be contractually. Mm-hmm. You do. I can't avoid it. There, I guess we've done an intro now. We've done it. Wanting is a fun word because it can mean different things. I mean, it really typically has just one meaning, but there is sort of the normal connotation of wanting, which like, would say, like desire? I desire that. That okay. is something that I would like. However, things can be left wanting. Like found, like lacking something? Found or? lacking. Okay. Which certainly means wanting more because we would want more for that thing, even though that thing might be perfectly fine with where it's at or person or whatever. Wanting in, I think, both regards certainly plays a role in our story today. All right. On January 21st, 1842, Alfred, you heard that correctly. It's not Alfred. Alfred, switch the R and the E in there. Okay. Alfred Griner Packer was born in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. He's one of three children born to James Packer and his wife, Esther. By the early 1850s, James Packer moved his family to LaGrange County, Indiana, where he worked as a cabinet maker. Young Alfred is said to have had a bitter relationship with his parents. I'm guessing it's the name. Yeah. Kind of rough. Yeah, that's pretty bad. He later moved in his late teens. He just couldn't take it anymore. And he moved to the Minnesota area where he began to work as a shoemaker. Okay. Does ringing any bells for you yet? Like I'm, I'm thinking hard. I can't. Nothing's coming up yet. Nothing's popping up. I see those yet. gears a turning. Yeah, you're trying them, and you might figure this out. While in Minnesota on April 22nd of 1862, our boy Alfred enlisted in the Union Army to fight in the Civil War. He was assigned to the 16th U.S. Infantry Regiment, and certainly he had full expectation to fight. But after eight months, and while he had already been moved to Fort Ontario, New York. He was honorably discharged due to his recurring bouts of epilepsy. Okay. There's an Ontario, New York. I thought that was There's an Ontario, Fort Ontario, New York. Now mm-hmm. taking that rejection in stride, our boy moved south all the way to Iowa. So not that far south. While he was there, he very soon enlisted in the 8th Iowa Cavalry Regiment. So he was discharged. Also in the Union Army. Yeah. So he, dis- he was discharged because of epilepsy. Yes. So he's like, all right, I'll move and re-enlist. Hey, he's got a dream. Okay. But it turns out Iowans aren't any more cool with epilepsy than people from Minnesota are. (laughs) No, or New York. Exactly. Yeah. So after having been moved all the way to Cleveland, Tennessee on April 22nd, 1864, literally two years to the day after he first enlisted, he was honorably discharged for the second time. Once again, epilepsy. Okay. Was it like, was the army like, oh, wait, you've already been discharged for this? Or do you think he's having seizures? And they're like, yo, get out of here. We can't have people with seizures in our army. He was reported to have had a seizure every two days. (laughs) (laughs) Like on the dot, like, could you set your watch by it? Like, like they never got that specific with it. Three o'clock, Alfred's having a seizure again. Like Alfred. (laughs) I said Alfred. I thought I said Alfred. Oh, okay. I will probably end up saying that wrong a number of times. Yeah. And if I do, I'm sorry to all the Alfreds who are out there. 
I'm sorry to all the Alfreds out there that your name is Alfred. Yeah, I'm sorry for them. <laughs> also, I'd like to make it clear that I'm not seizure shaming. They happen. People have to deal with it. It's not a fun thing. No. However, if you're having one of those every two, every two days, days. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't that's... think the army and an active war zone is the place for you. No. Like, they're totally in the right. So, there's a lot of things you shouldn't do. If you're having seizures every other day, mm-hmm. like, or is, is the, is every other day different than every two days? It's pretty much this. I, th- okay. I would imagine that's the same. Yeah. I'd say that's the same thing. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things even back then you'd be like, yeah, you can't do that. You just can't. You don't get to be the engineer on this train. Nope. <laughs> so sorry, but no. Oh. <laughs> oh man. Okay. He's discharged again. Now what? Twice. It can, t- it can take a while to find yourself after having all of your dreams crushed. Sure. And so that led our boy Alfred to work at many different odd jobs. He was a, a hunter. My my manuscript here says haunter, which totally different story. And I'm now like wishing I was doing that podcast instead. That would be a pretty <laughs> cool episode. Uh, but not a haunter. He was a hunter. He was a wagon teamster, a ranch hand, field worker. Yet once again, his seizures and overall attitude ensured he would never get to keep a job for very long. Yeah. Well, maybe it's the denial. Like maybe he's just like, I don't care about my seizures. I'm going to do all these, which great. Don't let your disabilities get you down, but also you got to take those into account. Obviously the reason you're getting fired from everything, like you got to change direction. Exactly. You got to understand there are limitations that we every single person has them sure yeah i don't think he accepted his Mm -mm. alfred also worked for a couple of months as a wilderness guide but he wasn't very good at it and he kept getting lost (laughs) okay so opposite of hugh glass the exact opposite of hugh glass yeah who had no idea where he was but would still somehow manage to find exactly where he was going yeah, while crawling. He also or, worked some mining related jobs in Colorado. It's and not a good idea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I have epileptic seizures every two days. I'd like a pickaxe and some dynamite, please, in a cave. <laughs> I see no problems with this. <laughs> with hundreds of other men. <laughs> <laughs> They're not easily combustible at all. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> And he drifted from mine to mine, but never found any amount of prosperity doing any of that dirt work. And since he had absolutely no luck in Colorado, he was like, well, bye. And he moved to Utah. Been all over the country. Dude's been everywhere. Wow. According to literally everyone, everyone who knew him, Alfred was generally disliked and distrusted. He was known to steal. He was quarrelsome, an overall difficult person to get along with, and a pathological liar. So it's not just the seizures. Like, not just the seizures. Like, it's way more than that. If it if it was if he was a good guy and they had seizures, it'd be like, okay, man, he's a great guy, but I just He's too much of a liability. My insurance is too high. Well, I mean, I don't think they had insurance. I hope they had insurance back then. Some places it might have. Yeah. Oh, sure. Let's just call them up. He's a jerk. That's. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Skipping ahead, November 1873. Okay. Alfred is now 31 years old. 
still in Utah? He's still in Utah. Okay. A large deposit of gold was found just outside Breckenridge, Colorado. Now, this is, of course, during the time span when gold rush fever was still very strong all across the United States. Sure. And anytime there was ever a report of gold, all of a sudden entire towns would spring up all around all the miners and prospectors and everybody in the world coming in, hoping to strike it lucky. Yep. So a group of 20 men left the Bingham Canyon mines just outside of Salt Lake City. They gathered together to make their way to Breckenridge. Now, this group was made up of mostly strangers and was headed up by a, a dude named Bob McGrew. One of the members of this party, by a guy by the name of George Tracy, recalled that about 25 miles into their journey when they were nearing Provo, Utah, they met Alfred Packer. Okay. Alfred sees this group of dudes. Hey, where are you headed? And he heard that they were going to go get some gold. And so he asked if he could join their merry band. Now, it's important that on any sort of trip like this, that everyone do their part and contribute to the group. Doesn't sound like Alfred. Not so much. And it's important to point out that Alfred had no money, barely any supplies, didn't even have a rifle. He just had a Colt revolver. So my guess is Alfred was out being a wilderness guide and got had gotten lost and ran into this group of 20 dudes. Yeah. None of the actual historical records claim that. They don't spend too much time on where he met them and how he met them. But it seems pretty clear that he's all by himself, just out in the middle of nowhere, and they kind of stumble upon him, hmm. is what it seems like. So with all of those wonderful qualifications, the group was a bit hesitant to bring him along. However, he told them he was both a prospector and a wilderness guide, and he happened to know the San Juan Mountains area that they were headed towards. So three lies. Three lies. All of a sudden, he became super valuable to this group who did not know the territory in Colorado very well. Unfortunately, neither did Alfred. <laughs> I love the buildup in this story. Yeah, I still don't know him. So like, yes. I, I, I think you've got it. I think you've got me. I don't know this guy. Yes. Yeah. Members of the party realized very quickly that Alfred had vastly overstated his qualifications. <laughs> if not entirely made them up. Okay. In going along with the character traits we know, he was very greedy with rations. He was a bit of a beggar. He was lazy and obstinate. He fought constantly with Frank Miller, whose nickname was Butcher. That's not a person I would ever fight with. No. I'd leave that one alone. And another member of the party by the name Preston Nutter described him as a whining fraud. Also, he had seizures every two days. <laughs> So choosing the right team is really important. And oh I don't think he's it. If this was like the the prospecting NFL draft, like he's <laughs> they these guys picked the wrong guy. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Very quickly went from, oh my gosh, I can't believe we found this dude in the wilderness to I wish we had left this dude in the wilderness. Oh my goodness. Did that just happen back then too? Did you just like I guess I guess it did. Like, oh, how'd you meet Tim? Oh, we just bumped into each other in the wilderness was that just a thing i mean you weren't like getting on tinder or anything yeah i mean i don't meet dudes on tinder anyway like i don't think many people do that's not what tinder yeah, i think for. that's grinder um good one i don't think they had that then either but no. as might be surprising since it's november in utah and colorado there was heavy snow that made following the trail nearly impossible because it was so snowed under 
the wagons and the carts didn't move very well through snow and they made less than desirable time um, in the horrific winter weather. Yeah. Even more surprising, Alfred was absolutely no help with anything. Wow. That's unlike him. They became lost probably because they were actually listening to him and his directions. Food quickly ran out, possibly because Alfred was sneaking and hoarding it whenever possible. And the group was reduced to eating horse feed and were getting very close to eating the horses themselves. Bummer. In January of 1874, so they've been on the road now for at least six weeks, Yeah, They came upon a Native American encampment near Montrose, Colorado. Of course, the group was quite desperate because I can only imagine you can only eat horse feed for so long before completely losing your minds. But they, of course, still approached the place with a lot of trepidation and, okay, what's going to happen? Yeah. Because, of course, you never know if the natives are going to kill you right away or not. Yeah. Which might have been better than eating horse feed. Or just dealing with Alfred. Like... (laughs) Yes. I'd take an arrow to the chest over dealing with Alfred for six weeks. I think so. Yeah. Thankfully, blah. Thankfully for the group, it was the home of Chief Ure, who was known as the white man's friend. And he welcomed the group and fed and housed them. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, he's he actually seems to be he's a really interesting character that I'm not gonna dig into at all hmm. because that's just not he, the podcast isn't about him. Yeah. However, he's kind of an interesting character. Um, this Chief Ure, he was a member of the Utes tribe, which is what Utah is named after, U-T-E. Yeah. Chief Ure strongly, strongly recommended that the group spend the winter with him and not make the trek now, but wait until spring rolls around. I mean, he said there's no Ute member um, of the tribe who would make that trip because it would certainly lead to death. Yeah. And Ure was like, hey, stay here and we'll share what we and the people, like, we will share everything we have with you. Oh, that's we nice. We will keep you fed. We will keep you housed. You will be safe and warm this winter. And, of course, that sounded incredible yeah. to this group of famished men. Yeah. And they gladly accepted his offer okay, and good. settled down. Good. For two weeks. Was... <laughs> See, like, you had me going. I was like, I was worried you were going to tell me that they said no because of Alfred for some reason. And then you say, oh, like, no, they settled down. I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, yeah, wise choices. Two Two weeks weeks is not a whole winter. No, but two weeks is long enough to get you refed, warm again. You get feeling back in your extremities. And also long enough for a group of people who are sitting around and probably can't speak the local language, talking to each other and, and talking about how there's miners from all over the country headed to Breckenridge right now while they're sitting in this shelter next to the mountains they're not that far away but they're alive they're alive but they got that gold fever yeah okay money talks i guess it does yeah of course it was now february and the snow had been relentless yeah since they arrived which means their horses wagons and carts would have to stay put until the snow melted so out of the 21 men 11 of them decided that they would brave the winter weather and continue on. But they were like, hey, we got a plan. This is better. They decided to travel first to the Los Pinos Indian Agency, which was the closest outpost to their current location, and then go on to Breckenridge from there. So like, we're not going straight to Breckenridge. (laughs) That would be stupid. Yeah. Instead, we're going to this outpost, Los Pinos, and, and we'll go there first, get resupplied again, and then move on. Now, of course, Chief Ure is like, uh, I'm sorry. Was my English not clear enough? I feel like I was really clear to you, stupid white men. 
stay here. If you go, you die. That's how this works. It almost sounds like a threat now. Like if you leave, you die. Like I'll make well, sure. Is. I'll make sure of it. <laughs> We're good with arrows, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Okay. He realized he wasn't changing their minds. Yeah. And so he gave them food for the journey and also provided them like really solid directions on how to most safely get there, which would have them just stay on the bank and follow the Gunnison River. The problem with that, that would take longer and be a longer walk than going directly over the mountains. Yeah. And our boy, Alfred, decided that he was taking the shorter way. I don't care. Like, let him. (laughs) Like, I have no reason to care for Alfred. Of course Uh, not. So let him freeze. Like, I just, I know you're going to tell me that the other 11 were like, yeah, we'll follow Alfred. No. Nope. I, I okay. Okay. Good. Cause he I convinced was... five guys. <laughs> That's still more than zero, which is the appropriate amount of men that should have been like, yeah, after all our experience with you, we'll follow you. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. He convinced five guys because he swore. He's like, okay. Okay. The rest of the trip, I wasn't familiar with the geography and topography. This part, this is what I really know. You guys, I know how to do it. It'll be faster. We'll spend less time out in the winter. Trust me, I got this. So on February 9th, Alfred and the other five in his little group left for Los Pinos Indian Agency with a plan to go through the mountains. The men in that group were Shannon Wilson Bell, James Humphrey, Shockingly, Frank Butcher Miller, George California Noon, and Israel Swan. His last name was Noon? His last name was Noon, first name George, went by California. Okay, California Noon. Sounds like a rejected Eagles song. Doesn't it? Yeah. California Noon. Yeah, Yeah, sorry. Okay. So remember, there were 11 dudes who were like, hey, we're going to go ahead and push on through in the winter. Mm-hmm. Five of them, well, really six, because Alfred counts as one of them. Yeah. But six of the 11 are going. However, that leaves five of them who are like, seem to not care so much that they're not going with their guide. Yeah. <laughs> no, so it's like, well, yeah, it, you're a liar. Is Alfred, yeah, is Alfred the guide? Like, he's like, the guide. Yeah, no, that's quotation marks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Heavy quotation marks. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they're all dumb for for leaving, but this the five that go with Alfred are really dumb for leaving and doing that. Mm-hmm. Alfred's group had a seventy-five mile journey ahead of them, and this decision was made in spite of all of Chief Ure's dire warnings. Mm-hmm. It was made with the knowledge that they barely had enough food to cover the fourteen days they planned on it taking. Also, they had no snowshoes. They barely had any matches. They had no flint. They also had no heavy clothing to combat the extreme cold. They went into the mountains with two rifles, one pistol, a couple of knives, a hatchet, and minimal ammunition. So they're dead. Like, they're gonna die. So we're feeling good about this trip. Yeah, no, I'm not. Two Uh, months later. Yeah, that makes sense. Two months later, on the 16th of April, Alfred Packer emerged from the woods and stumbled his way across a frozen lake to the Los Pinos Indian Agency with rags lashed to his feet. Just him? Just him. Surprising the men sitting around the mess hall eating breakfast, he flung open the door and begged for food and shelter. Because, okay, yeah, that's just what he does. He carried with him a rifle, a knife, a steel coffee pot, and a satchel. The men hurried Packer inside, sat him down at a table, 
gave him some food, which he vomited up as soon as he ate it. Sure. Because he's, you know, and yeah. he's like, yeah, my digestion's really That's messed up because of That's my whole happens. like near starvation thing. Yeah. Yeah. However, after downing several shots of whiskey, he told the story of all the events leading up to Ure's camp and then told them that he had been hired by five men to guide them to Breckenridge from Chief Ure's camp. He stated that during the journey, he had become snowblind, which is basically like um, just the sun's reflecting off of the, the snow, snow so much that it basically burns your corneas. Yeah. But he claimed he was snowblind and was lagging behind the rest of the party and really becoming a burden for them. And so Packer claimed that a member of the party, Israel Swan, gave him a rifle and then they abandoned him. Alfred was then forced to survive on his own and make his way out of the mountains with minimal ammunition, virtually no supplies. He ate very little else other than roots and rosebuds the entire time he was alone. And he just finally, after two months, made it all the way back to civilization. Is he still seizing every two days? I'm sure he is. I don't think that sort of affliction just goes away. Yeah. <laughs> Make hunting awfully difficult. Yeah. I got him in the crosshairs. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't seem like a killer. Uh-huh. So I don't want to assume that he killed the other five. Well, I don't know if he would have to. Winter does pretty good at that. Yeah. It's just... I mean, it's great for the story's sake, but it's so... If I was the other five, no way am I going to die before Alfred. Like, I oh, absolutely. Not like, even if I have to, to kill him myself. Like, Oh, yeah, I'm murdering I'm, that joker. I'm the not moment letting we the, get out of sight of Chief Ure's camp. Yeah, I'm not letting the elements take me before <laughs> I take Alfred. <laughs> the bane of my existence. Okay. He's on this. All right. Yeah, like... <laughs> Okay, so he's at camp. He's telling the story. Mm -hmm. What's next? The men of the agency, of course, listened to his story with rapt attention. Mm. They did find it a little bit odd, though, because even though he had been lost in the wilderness for a little over two months, he did not look as malnourished and threadbare as most lost wanderers they had ever come across. Yeah. His face was reported as being bloated, and his overall physique was certainly not skeletal. Okay. Packer claimed he was broke and he sold the Winchester rifle he had for $10, which is equivalent to $226 in today's money. Wow. Okay. He stayed at the agency for 10 days before he expressed that he really wanted to go back home to Pennsylvania. And so he then headed to the nearby town of Sawatch to buy supplies for his journey. When he reached Sawatch, Alfred booked a room in Dolan's saloon. Larry Dolan, the owner, claimed that Packer spent around $100, which in today's money is equivalent to $2,260. He spent that much during his stay. And also he said that Packer even offered to lend him $300, which is almost $7,000 today. Okay. Alfred also spent $78, which once again, what's you're getting right around $2,000 um, in Otto Mears general store. And one of the very interesting things is that people notice he used several different wallets when he paid for things. Five men's wallets. I would imagine there's not any ladies' wallets mixed in there for sure. Okay. Because ladies weren't allowed to have money. Yeah. He drank heavily every day. And after becoming intoxicated, he would give several different and conflicting stories regarding his journey and how he came to be detached from the other men. Mm. Now, you might remember our good friend Preston, who earlier called him a whining fraud. Preston shows up. Um, he was one of the ones who had actually remained at Ure's camp. Okay. And he arrived in Sawatch. Um, basically around this time, so Alfred's been around for a couple weeks, 
And he arrived with two other original party members. And he happened to show up to Dolan's saloon, which, you know, most towns, I don't think there's that many places to choose from to go eat no. and drink. Yeah. And he walked in and he found Packer just really drinking and carrying on, living the life. So Preston asked Packer, he's like, hey, um, where's the rest of the dudes that you were with? And Alfred's like, hey, you know, I got my feet wet and frozen. And so I ended up having to kind of be left behind because, you know, we ended up setting up camp during a winter storm. And I started a fire to warm up while the others went ahead and looked for food because my feet were, you know, they were wet. And you can't leave them wet, frostbite. You <laughs> you know how it is, Preston. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was there by the fire. They all went to look for food. And, you know, our good friend, Mr. Swan, he he left his rifle with me in case, you know, trouble happened while I was here at the fire. Roving bear attacks. You never know what might happen. Mm-hmm. But the other guys never returned. And they abandoned me up there and just yeah. left me. Oh, he's seizing up again. He is. It was <laughs> really Alfred claimed that he was forced to leave the party to their unknown fate as he had no idea where they went when they left. And, you know, once again, he, he lived mainly on rosebuds and the occasional squirrel as he made his, his way out of the mountains. Okay. So again, that's another story. It's a different story than the snow blind thing. Wait, what? Different? Ha- what? Yeah. No. Yeah. All right. Preston thought his also thought found that story odd. Yeah. Because Packer looked rather well fed. Yeah. And it would seem to be a really, really poor choice for five miners from Utah who are unfamiliar with Colorado to abandon their guide in the snowbound mountains of a territory he claimed to know well. He also knew those other men and found it hard to believe that they would just simply abandon him. Yeah. He also thought it was strange that Israel Swan would just simply give his rifle away. It's $200 and... Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an expensive thing. Yeah. And also that only leaves them with one rifle. Yeah, that's not smart. You need all the rifles. You do. Also, where was Packer's Colt revolver that he'd been carrying when he left Uray's camp? And where did all his drinking money come from? Since Packer was super broke when he first met up with the party. And it's not like they went to some town and sold beaver pelts. Yeah, because we know how expensive those are. Preston also noted that that Packer had in his possession a, a knife that belonged to Frank Butcher Miller. Nutter asked about the knife and Packer's like, well, look. The butcher stuck it in a tree, and then when they walked off, he just never came back. So I just grabbed it. I'm not going to leave. Tree doesn't need a knife. You silly. Preston, have a have a drink with me. But Preston was all convinced that something nefarious happened in the woods. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the Los Pinos Indian Agency, five more of the original party showed up, not Packers five. Oh, okay. They were introduced to the head of the agency, General Charles Adams, who's like, no way. I just had a guy come through who was part of your group that was over with the chief. And oh my gosh, you guys, the other ones who were with him completely deserted him. Can you believe it? And he kind of just recapped the story like this, this, the story is crazy. And these other dudes are like, um, absolutely not. Packer's a liar. And there's no way these other dudes would just abandon him to die because they were too honorable for that. So they convinced the general to send some men to Saguach to bring Alfred back for questioning. Around that same time, Alfred is really going, I think it's time for me to get back out to Pennsylvania and get on out of here. So the agency officer arrived just in time to stop him from going back east and convinced him. He's like, look, you know, we know those guys have died and you're an expert. You know the area around here. You're a guide. So we want to hire you 
to help us go find these men. So that way we can give them a proper Christian burial. Alfred was a little bit hesitant, but certainly all the other people around who had heard the story really helped encourage him to do the right thing. Yeah. Which is to go help. I bet he, I bet he can find him pretty quickly. I don't know. He seems bad with directions. Yeah. Mm. After showing back up at the Indian agency, Alfred was amazed that the other dudes had not yet shown up. And he was so concerned for their well-being. Like, oh no. The other miners who had shown up scoffed at his story and demanded to know where all his newly acquired wealth came from. Yeah. Well, Alfred stated, he's like, look, you know, while I was over in Sagwatch, I got a loan. You know, some guy like, I, you know, I really only had money from selling the rifle. And so I got a loan while I was there because I need to survive. <laughs> like, come on, of course. So General Adams was like, okay, well, if it's true, then I'm sure you don't mind staying here while we send someone back to Sagwatch to verify your story. Yeah. And Packer agreed with, again, a slight hesitation. And strangely enough, when the officer returned, he had not been able to find a single person in that town who had given any money to him. In fact, everyone talked about all the money he had been spending the entire time instead. That's odd. So strange. General Adams then convened a council of the five miners, himself, Packer, and the agency officers to settle this matter. Council of the five miners sounds like five underage children getting together. As they began the proceedings, two Ute tribesmen rushed into the agency holding strips of dried human flesh, which they referred to as white man's meat. They found it on a hill near the agency while hunting. Packer fainted, crumpled to the floor. Okay. When he was revived, he profusely began to beg for mercy, swearing to make a full confession. After a long silence, he cryptically stated to Adams, it would not be the first time that people had been obliged to eat each other when they were hungry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> now you know why I didn't want you to know the punchline that was coming. Oh my gosh. No. Okay. I don't like cannibalism. I don't like I you shouldn't. I yeah, but like there would be problems if you were like, oh, I love this. Like it's 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 not it's not as like bad as like cults, like like how how cults make me feel, but like it's close to that. It's Man. pretty gross. Uh, okay. So it was like in a live situation, like or yeah, that's that's the the soccer team on the airplane in the in the Alps. In the Andes that, Mountains. Andes. That's yeah, not the Alps. Yeah. Um, okay. Wow. Or like the Donner Party before the Donner Party? No, this is after the Donner. This party. is this is within a year of the really? Donner Party. Okay. Wow. All this stuff about cannibalism and stuff is certainly still very very fresh yeah. in people's minds. Yeah. Especially in this area, which is not that far away. No, I think the Donners were a little further north. They were. were. Yeah. But not much. No. All things considered. Packer slowly and sobbingly began to tell the first of several different official statements. Alfred Packer claimed that the men had left Ure's camp with what they thought was enough food for the anticipated 14-day journey ahead. Before they knew it, all the provisions were exhausted due to the rough terrain and all the energy you have to expend because it's rough terrain. Mm -hmm. They survived for days on roots dug up from the ground, pine gum, rosebuds from, I guess, 
winter roses in Colorado? I don't know. And the occasional rabbit. After a few days of no wildlife activity due to the extreme cold and eating virtually nothing but roots, Alfred claimed that the men started to eye each other in an unsettling way, their stomach twisting in hunger. Uh. A few days after this, he left camp to dr gather dry firewood and returned to find four men around the slain body of Israel Swan, who had been struck in the head with a hatchet and killed instantly. The four started to then butcher Swan, with Packer accepting the situation and joining them. Okay. I don't know how I would respond in that sort of a situation, but I think the first thought of my mind is survival. Yeah, survival and like knowing that, okay, these four dudes were willing to do that. Uh huh. So if I don't go along, uh huh, I'll be food. And they liked that guy. They hate me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess I'd go along with it. But again, I don't know how he's, why he's not the first choice. Like, I don't understand that. Million which, dollar question. Yeah, which I mean, again, you, I mean, you said that like he has multiple official account, like quote unquote official accounts. So like, I guess we, at this point in the story, I can't accept that story as the truth, but it just, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. He should be the first one dead. He should. Yes. He should be like by all accounts. He's it on every, every yeah. Oh, okay. So Swan's dead in the story and mm -hmm. he helps them because yep. he's afraid of dying and also absolutely. And he claims several thousand dollars was found on Israel Swan's person, and it was divided up between the men. Mm. They consumed the most agreeable parts of Swan's body, packed some up, and moved on, with Packer taking Swan's rifle. Okay. Within two days, however, the now group of five men had run out of food. Mm. Packer, Bell, Humphrey, and Noon. I love his last name's Noon. Such yeah. a, like old school Western name. They decided in secret that Miller, the butcher, would be the next to go. Ironic. And Packer confessed, he's like, you know, Miller's a stocky dude and he was chosen for the huge amount of soft flesh he would have on his body. He was killed with a hatchet blow to the head while he was stooping to pick up wood for the fire, then butchered and consumed. <laughs> a, uh, yeah. yeah. Packer then took Miller's knife, having admired it, and he also took Miller's share of Swan's money and then... They kept on moving towards Los Pinos. The winter was relentless, and the men were slow moving, barely able to see in front of them. Cursing the wind that was cutting at all their exposed skin, Humphrey was the next to be sacrificed, followed before too long by George California Noon. At last, it was just down to Bell and Packer. He claimed that the two men swore on Almighty God to not eat each other. They each had a rifle at this point, and each of them had a couple thousand dollars of cash. And they presumed that the two men would fare well on the remainder of the trip with the little bit of game that they're able to find, because it's easier to feed two guys than six. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. One mouse, though, than two. It is easier to feed one than two. Yeah. They agreed that when they reached civilization, they would say the four men had perished due to the winter elements and that they would be buried and that they had been buried with dignity and vowed to never speak of the cannibalism yeah i mean yeah you that that's what you have to do like if you stoop that low you can't talk about it like you just no. gotta you gotta deal with that gotta you hold gotta, that in you gotta hold that in that's your cross to bear the rest of your life like mm -hmm. you don't you don't get to unburden yourself from that which even if like 
I like if I was in that situation and genuinely like it was life or death and unfortunately maybe not the murder aspect of it maybe someone just okay hey he perished I can't let that go to waste like even that would feel so shameful to me mm-hmm. and I I couldn't bring myself to to talk about that ever oh gosh no Absolutely. and then you add the murder aspect on top of that that and, does add a new layer yeah to not even waiting for the elements to do it just to to have done it yourself i'm like, hungry yeah uh, okay so after moving on for a few yeah. days yeah with little else eaten other than one scrawny rabbit and some roots the men were exhausted and set up camp next to a large lake that was skirted on one side by a large grove of hemlock trees packer said mm. that a few days after this bell snapped up out of his blanket and screamed he couldn't take it anymore he told packer that one of them was going to die for food and it was going to happen now. He grabbed his rifle, sprinted at Packer, and readied to bash his skull in with the butt of the rifle. Packer, just in time, was able to deflect the blow, and he struck Bell in the head with the hatchet. Mm. He claimed, at this point, the only fear he had left was starving to death. So he then butchered Bell, eating as much as he could in preparation for the remaining bit of his journey. And he, of course, packed a good amount of the meat away. He also relieved Bell of all his share of Swan's money, and then headed on, unsure how far he was from anywhere, because, of course, he doesn't know where, where he is. is. Yeah. After a little while, he did then mounted a hill and saw at long last the Indian Agency outpost. He threw the remaining strips of Bell's flesh away, presuming that an animal would eat them up pretty quickly, and admitted that he did so with a fair degree of hesitation, because he'd grown quite fond of human flesh and found oh, the portion oh. around the breast to be especially delicious. No, no, no. No. His words, not mine. Okay. This confession shockingly enraged the men who were listening, but the general decided that they needed to go and check it all out for themselves. He asked some local Utes if they knew of a place that fit the descriptions with the skirting of hemlocks and the arms of the lake. And they're like, oh yeah, there's a place like 50 miles away, just like across the hills over there, which I'm like, that's not just across the hills. That's 50 miles, but whatever. I'm also not a Native American who's just used to going out all over the place. Sure. So the general sent an expedition led by Herman Lauder and guided by Packer. Hmm. <laughs> Let's ask the dude we're questioning <laughs> who isn't a guide, who could be a murderer, well, is a self-admitted murderer. Uh-huh. However, in his defense, he kind of claims it's all self-defense. Okay, yeah. When they got close to where they thought everything should end up being Alfred claimed that he was now hopelessly lost and didn't know where to go from there. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Surprise. So they decided to turn back around to the agency and Lauder now publicly stating that he did not believe Alfred. Yeah. The next day, Alfred attacked Lauder with a very large hunting knife and was unsuccessful in killing the man. Okay, good. So this now led everyone to believe that he was actually dangerous and might have purposely killed all those men all along. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. You see, now that I'm breaking down his whole story leading up to this, he does fit a profile, like a certain profile. Mm -hmm. And I use the word profile because my wife watches a lot of um, uh, Criminal Minds. Which it's the I, correct word to use. I don't like because it's the same episode every time, just with different characters. Uh-huh. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a childhood trauma, 
moved around a lot, not liked by by many people. Social, I don't know if pariah is the right word, but like- I, he, There's some, certainly some of that. Yeah. Um, and disability, which mm-hmm. led Adds to- Adds to the like, social pariahness. Yeah. Um, which also led to, you know, his goals and dreams being kind of taken from him. So yeah, he fits a profile of a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't seem too remorseful about- about any of it not and so much a- apparently likes the taste of man flesh yum yum okay <laughs> <laughs> that's good audio right there yep alfred packer changed his story slightly but still claimed that it would all happen because of the cold and the men were dying anyways so they just ate them to try to stay alive however the snows melted, and two Indian hunters discovered the bodies. Turns out, the bodies were not spread out long over the trail like Packer claims they were. They found the shelter that Packer had built, saw the path that he took from the shelter back and forth to the bodies of the slain men, uh. who were preserved in the cold snow. The way that the bodies were laid out clearly showed that they had been murdered, as there was quite a mess of organs and body parts. Higher uh. heads were missing from the bodies, and the heads that did exist all had massive wounds on the back of them. Dude. There was also evidence to show that they had probably been murdered before the, all of the supplies ran out, as there were still supplies in the shelter. It's kind of a bummer. Like, isn't it though? I mean, okay, like our last episode was on children chimney sweeps dying, and I thought that was a bummer. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather talk about that than talk about this murder spree thing. Like I uh okay. Okay. So he's like he's a monster. Mm-hmm. Um an epileptic monster. An epileptic a monster all the monster. same. Yes. Um what do they do with him? Well, you'll be very pleased to know. Alfred went to trial. Good. Was found guilty good. and sentenced to hang. Good. All good news. Yeah. There's bad news though. Don't tell me there's bad. Well, before the execution could take place, his lawyers found a loophole that would prevent him from being executed. Because as it turns out, Colorado officially became a state after the murders had happened, yet before his trial. And therefore, he couldn't be executed for something in Colorado that happened when it wasn't actually Colorado. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of legal jargon and stuff that went along with it, but that's the basics of the loophole they found. Okay. Seems dumb to me. Yeah. So he had a second trial, and at his second trial, he was sentenced to 40 years for the intentional manslaughter of the five men. So not murder. They gave it intentional manslaughter. Intentional manslaughter. Sounds like murder. Yeah. Manslaughter sounds like murder. Like... (laughs) You, you like, cause I mean, it's what he did. The word slaughter is not good. Mm-mm. Um, but it, cause like the term it's involuntary manslaughter, right? That's the, yes. Okay, that's the thing now it's not good. It just means like you accidentally killed somebody, right? Yep. There needs to be a better phrase for that because manslaughter sounds awful. Terrifying. Like just say accidental death or accidentally killing, not involuntary manslaughter like okay so but to be fair he did slaughter oh, these he, men he, so he, it, the, the term actually works here, really well here it this. does here it does but it's intentional manslaughter here mm-hmm. nowadays the expression 
should not be used the way it's used in a court of law. But that's a that's a side tangent. So, okay, he's found guilty, 40 years in jail. 40 years, eight years for each man. Okay. After serving 18 years of his sentence, he was released on parole. For good behavior, I guess, or? He like knew just... people who knew people. Okay. Who ended, like, it, it was this, um, a newspaper reporter, actually a woman, which is actually quite, quite fascinating to me. Hmm. But she worked really, really, really hard to get him released from prison. And they ended up releasing him on the grounds that he could do nothing to make any money from his story. So he couldn't write a book. He couldn't do a memoir. He could none of that. Like he couldn't do no, anything with the story. No film deal or anything like that. Reports are that for the rest of his life, he was a vegetarian. And he entertained people with plenty of colorful stories. Sure he did. Alfred Packer died on April 23rd, 1907 from a stroke. And that is the terrifying story of Alfred Packer, who is more commonly known as the Colorado cannibal. Okay. But wait, there's more. Of course there's more. Alfred Packer has become somewhat of a local legend in, in parts of Colorado. There is a restaurant named after him, which is honestly the most terrifying place in the world I can think of to eat. Yeah. There it's, in the night pork. Just trust us. It's pork. It's pork. Mm -hmm. We'd love to have you for dinner. Uh, mm. Okay. In the 1970s, there was a ballad that came out about him. It's like two minutes long. It's actually pretty funny. That's two minutes too long. You should check it out. It's actually pretty good. Okay. And then in the 1980s, they came out with Cannibal the Musical. The Musical. <laughs> I hate musicals in general. But it's just, it, there is a trailer for that on YouTube that is incredible. Okay. I mean, and it's supposed to, like, it's very campy, very, I mean, very almost Monty Python-esque, just complete mockery of it in terms of mocking the whole cannibalism and all that sort of stuff. Of course, it, it failed miserably. Yeah, that's good. But it turned into this huge joke that people oftentimes are not actually seem to be very horrified by this man. I am. But actually very much welcoming and not quite celebrating, but almost celebrating. Like he's Johnny Appleseed? Like, no. <laughs> it worked out well for him. What really happened with him is because he came after the Donner Party, which that could be its whole separate episode all by yeah. itself, I, which I'm I not planning on doing. See, I thought about it and decided against it because I don't like cannibalism and I didn't <laughs> feel like I could talk about it for an hour. Oh, I can. I, clearly. And thank you. But most of the time I didn't talk about cannibalism. I just was telling an engrossing story about these idiots going into the mountains. Yeah, yeah, you, you were. But he came after the Donner Party. And yeah. so the big shock and horror of what could happen out there in times of dire need, that people had already processed that. Yeah. And at that point, people had already become somewhat sympathetic to the idea that if you're out there in the winter and you run out of food and people die, that is me. I'm not saying that's how, how people should act. I'm not trying to defend it at all. However, when he is telling stories like, you know, they were dying anyways. Of course, this is like his third retelling of it yeah. when he gets to that point. People are somewhat sympathetic to the idea that, okay, I get why you would 
eat your friend. Yeah. And that helped moralize him in more of a positive light than he should have been. But yeah, he killed those people. Oh yeah, he straight up murdered them. Like straight up. But of course, this was before criminal minds and before we had psychological profiles when you could see that oh well he's 12 years old and still wet in his bed and really is really into animal torture and fire okay yeah like Mm, wow wow that's alfred packer well thanks for that you're welcome and i think the big takeaway don't give your kids stupid names no no, it is. It is interesting that so many like monsters have name, like just have like weird, weird names. Like, don't do that to your kids, man. No, because you're not setting you're setting them up to be murderous cannibals. Mm-hmm. I'll never trust a man named Alfred again. Not that I don't. I don't think I I I would have because I've never met one. But I don't think I would have. But now I really won't. I know an Alfred. Yeah. But I've never met an Alfred. Interesting. Another great thing is that we record these at night and my <laughs> my wife's already asleep. So I have to do the whole like husband like cl- like locks all the doors, checks all the lights and everything before. And now I'll be doing that with my shotgun with me the entire time. Like for like I totally it's just the two of us in this house. But you have put the cannibalism paranoia in my head that I don't like. And you have ruined my night from here on out. So thank you for that. I I really appreciate that. Okay. Well, we we'll cheer- end on that yeah. note. Yeah, we need a cheerful topic next time. <laughs> it's I'm all glad on you. I, well, yeah, I'm glad I'm doing my episode uh, because it's funny and not Horrible. cannibalism. So, well, lovely. Thank you. Thank you for telling, sharing that story, for enlightening me, even though I didn't really like it. But You're I, very welcome. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, this is a sort of dark, creepy story that I love. Yeah. I just, I eat this stuff up. I know you do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've been waiting the entire time for that one. I haven't, I can't believe you haven't. <laughs> No silence of the lambs jokes. No, none of that. Like, no, I've been good. Yeah. yeah. I've been good. Okay. But thank you for listening to this wonderfully uplifting story of human triumph in spite of adversity and tragedy. Positive, encouraging Midnight Narwhals podcast. No. (laughs) I'm Andy. I'm James. And this has been another episode of the Midnight Narwhals podcast. Thank you for allowing us to bless your ears. Yep. See you next time. Bye.